0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of
2: Thrones with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and Peter Sagal is... Alas, not in the same time zone as us this morning, so that's why he sounds a little different. I am in
0: Ashland, Oregon, where I spent the weekend at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, seeing plays, including, by the way, Hamlet, which, as you remember, ends with bodies strewn all over the stage. And all I think of now is Piker. (laughs) You want to talk about strewing bodies around Mr. Shakespeare? Let me introduce you to a little friend of mine named Germ,
1: <laughs> So here we are recapping season six, episode 10 of Game of Thrones. This is the finale. It was called The Winds of Winter. A lot of you already have asked us on the Twitters if this is going to be an extra long recap because the episode was extra long. And what we've decided to do actually is recap this episode today. And then we will have a follow up season recap coming out Wednesday by 5 p.m. Central. So today will just be the episode, and then on Wednesday we'll really dive in and talk about our predictions for next season and sort of the overarching storylines from season six as well.
0: We'll also have an emotional check-in just to make sure everybody's (laughs) doing okay. You know,
1: this is great because, Peter, I remember not so long ago you said there were no such things as feelings, so I feel like we're really making
0: progress (laughs) here. I'm really, i like one of those computers in in classic Star Trek going, Wait, what is this strange sensation that I have in my feels? <laughs> yeah. I...
1: He said feels. I can't believe I it. I did. I did.
0: Oh, my did. gosh. Okay, you, so... You, you have an infectious personality, like a social disease.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter.
0: You're welcome,
2: Graham. Well, let's start where the episode spent, I think, 20-plus yeah, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. At yeah. the start, which they used, but, you know, the extra minutes they got, I think, well in this episode. And they really did... Some beautiful work, I think, in King's Landing where we knew that this was happening pretty much all season, right? Ooh, the well, walk of you shame. knew,
0: Tricia. Let's give it one more time because <laughs> the first person – and I spend like all the nerds who listen a lot of time in the internet looking around for theories. But the first person who called it, who said Circe is going to blow shit up, <laughs> was our very own master Bobita. So yeah, yay, yep. clapping Maester on Bobita Skype. Bobita for real. Clap on Skype. But yes, you call that episodes ago, and you didn't even need it. And you, you basically, if I remember correctly, Tricia, put it together based on Brand's seemingly or otherwise inexplicable flashback.
2: Right, that had to be a flash uh, forward.
0: Exactly, to Eris, <laughs> to the mad king, yelling, burn it all! And you connected that to Cersei's, I would burn down a city rather than see." Yes, you were right. And once we started hearing... Uh, Tyrion explained practically to the camera (laughs) last week that there were these stores of wildfire underneath the sept. We all pretty much knew it was going to happen. In fact, I think that they wanted that because one of the things that the whole opening sequence did not have, in addition to all the things it did have, which was some fine terminal acting from actors we will never see again on this show, is not a lot of suspense. It played out with kind of an inevitable tragic, you know, kind of stateliness rather than, oh, my God, can you believe what she's going to do? No, we totally can believe it.
1: It really did, especially just with the the tradition of everyone getting dressed, I thought was really lovely and interesting, especially given that there was no dialogue for quite a few minutes and the music was really intense. I thought it was really, yeah. it
0: was really beautiful. And the music was really different. I don't know enough about music. I wish I did to be able to say why this music that you heard that sort of violin, almost like an adagio playing, sounded different from everything I could remember hearing in Game of Thrones music-wise. But it sure did. It just gave the whole thing a much different feel, almost like, as I was saying moments to like this was sort of the playing out of an inevitable tragedy rather than a you know an exciting ba-ba-ba-bom, ba-ba-ba-bom plot. Who's going to get there first? <laughs>
2: yeah, we didn't think Lancel was going to make it just in time. We knew no. Well,
0: actually, that's actually kind of the point because I think that otherwise they might have tried something like that with that. Because we've talked about how the music cues can get a little obvious. Remember the whole confrontation in front of the Sept and how like dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, dun 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 And this wasn't like that at all. It was like, they're all going to die and here they go, just enjoy them. One last look at Marjorie's cleavage. Don't you wish she still dressed the way she did. Mm. And that was about
2: I think you got different lyrics in your closed captioning
0: than yeah, I did. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm using some sort of pirated internet out here in
2: Ashland. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> dear.
0: It's, it's filtered through the water. I did me, think that, that, may.
2: that Cersei's battle dress, is what yeah. I decided to call it, that she put on, was yeah, was, was very uh, Disney villain Almost with the sparkly shoulders, and, the, and when she's circling the shame septa, is it oh, septa? Yeah. Oh
1: my gosh, yeah, septa. Oh,
2: yeah,
0: um, yes, <laughs> Cersei's gowns by Maleficent. Yes, it exactly. really was very seriously villainous stuff, and putting on that sort of black armor was intense. There was, you know, even as I've been dismissing this whole notion of dramatic tension through that long sequence, there was one bit which was whether Marjorie was going to get out because Marjorie's last, last act on this show, as it turns out, was uh. One lap, figuring out that she had been outfoxed, if you will, at long last, Uh, which has never quite happened to her before. And I honestly thought that when she said, wait a minute, what's going on? Cersei's planned something. And she even made the rather remarkable leap that, oh, yeah, she's planned some incredibly intense physical danger for us all here, which was a bit of a leap. Yeah, yeah. but she, I thought when she said, I've got to get out of here, that, that that she would be safe to fight another day, the equivalent of Darth Vader's ship spinning off after the Death Star blows up. But nope.
1: I thought it was a really interesting I, yeah. choice to burn the sept but never see it from the point of view of anything actually burning, right? I mean, you're so far away from it whenever you see
2: it. Well, when it first well, exploded, we got to see Jonathan that sort true. of melt that's in the true. center of the frame yeah. in that one shot. It was very Raiders, but of yeah,
1: I don't know. I was imagining more. I guess maybe because of the visions, I was imagining more. Just I don't more conflagration,
2: but it burns yeah. so hot that it's almost like a nuclear explosion instead of a fire. I suppose. Yeah,
0: and and at the, I think the last shot you have in the episode of uh, that section O King's Landing, I think it was through Tommen's window right before Tommen went through Tommen's window. Ooh. Um, the whole neighborhood was still on fire. So I think there was plenty of conflagration for those of you who like it.
2: I liked the giant uh, church bell hurtling through the streets (laughs) just to make sure you understood how big of an explosion this was.
0: It was a big explosion. Were you guys surprised, as I was, by how many characters they killed off? Because in addition to Mm -hmm. uh, the High Sparrow and Lancel, you also had Marjorie, Marjorie's uh, father... K'von Lannister, yep. Cersei's uncle. Um, any other major character? Oh, yes, of course, um, Loras went. He's gone.
1: Well, and Pycelle I mean, died
0: in a different way. Oh, manner. yeah. God, and that was a little... We haven't even talked about that. The little children. Yeah.
1: Oh, man, that the was creepy. birds are little stabby murderers, I wrote little down. stabby
0: murderers, which uh, book fans will know is something from the books, the stabby little birds, although in the books, they are not servants of Kybern, evil defrocked maester but of our dear friend, comic Varys. So there you are, TV fans. You thought that was creepy. Imagine Varus being the guy who's sending them to do their bloody work.
2: Right. We saw a few episodes ago in this season that Kyburn had taken over for Varys because he'd been gone so long. And turns out if you give them sweets, they will do murder.
0: Yeah. Jeez. It's a cheap I, assassin.
2: I, those must have been really good sweets. Yeah.
0: And I don't know where they found that one little girl who is the one who gives Pycelle the incorrect news that the king wants to see him, to send him to his death. But that little girl had a face. Oh, my gosh. It's worth it, actually, if you have HBO now or something that allows you to fast forward. or, I guess everybody can do this now. Just take a look (laughs) at that little girl's face and and then just give a slow Brubaker clap to the casting director because, my God.
2: Do you think the Mountain was disappointed that he was brought back from the dead, it seems, quite painfully, and his only job now was just to babysit Tommen and he couldn't even do that successfully? Well, I don't think he feels
0: a lot of regret about anything.
1: <laughs> was his job to babysit Tommen, though?
2: To make sure that he didn't leave the Red Keep and go to the Sept. Well, they showed,
0: if, uh, there was a sh- you know, the first day of a sign of, like, Tommen getting up and I'm going to the door now. And uh, he being there and going, no, you're not. I actually had this terrifying moment because of everything we've seen from that reanimated corpse uh, that he was going to actually kill Tommen. Yeah,
1: I didn't. uh, Yeah, his presence seemed much more like intimidating and potentially malicious to me than. Yeah, his job was to keep him there and
2: safe. Yeah. He kept them
0: there safe. And then once the thing place blew up, he turned around and left. They actually had that shot. So clearly he was off doing something horrible. (laughs) The God knows what. I, I, was, uh. I was watching that little sequence, that vengeance sequence, and I was like, oh, this is really going to end well for her. And then they, they were very careful, as you saw the last shot of the Septa and the mountain through the door, not to show the mountain doing anything. Right. You just see the back of his head and he doesn't bend, he doesn't gesture, he doesn't do anything to indicate what he might be doing to her, which I think is a little mercy for us in the audience because just the slightest suggestion of what he might be doing to her would have been just overwhelmingly awful. So I did see people
2: I did see people online last night asking were we supposed to imply that she was being raped and if so they were done with the show forever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that the way they had positioned him next to her was meant to almost say, not that it's actually, I mean, to say, no, he's just going to torture her in different yeah. ways. Right. But he, he was standing sort of next to her, near her hand. like It felt like it was going to be an old school torture type of situation worth breaking fingers or, or or things like that that are just slow and painful. But we, I don't think we were, for anyone who maybe had that worry because of the show's track record of sometimes using rape in, in gratuitous ways where violence is violence and we don't need to see that extra layer of awfulness. I don't yeah. think that's what was implied in this scene. I could be wrong. They did leave it up to the audience to decide what was happening in that room.
0: My guess is, and this is just based on other things I've seen, uh, like in you know DVD extras of particular films, is my guess is, is that when they shot that scene, whenever and wherever they shot it, they tried different variations of indicating what uh, the mountain was doing, and they decided probably... That nothing was best in this situation because you want to walk people up to a line of discomfort and alarm, but not over it.
2: Also, as sinister and as awful as it was to see that happening, Cersei's confession monologue yeah. was well done.
0: Ooh, so wh- what do we think? We have to discuss this before we move on to, to other less sploty parts of the show. <laughs> but clearly, you know, as indicated most obviously by that change of clothes to that kind of black Wicked Witch outfit she's got. Cersei has been transformed. Would you agree? I mean, uh, the the number of recappers already, and I've been up only for half an hour reading, uh, (laughs) have pointed out how different her reaction to Tommen's death, Tommen's inevitable death, if you Mm. remember that prophecy, uh, was to say her reaction to her first two kids going, that something has changed in her. She's colder. She's blacker. She's
2: the Mad Queen now. Yeah, she's she's crazy.
0: Yeah, she'd be crazy. Uh, would you say that that had to do with mostly the walk of shame, which the, the, the legacy of which we, because it happened last season, we've really sort of waited to see how it's really come out in her this season. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the payoff. Oh, you make me walk in shame. Now you all die.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think she has tried to take power several times even this season in her interactions with the High Sparrow and in convincing Tommen to kind of stay on her side, and nobody did. And so I think she, you know, I, I think the the moment of transformation is when she decides to burn the place down, right? That's yeah, when it's like, oh, you much. don't care. Yeah. You're a terrorist. I'm just, I'm
0: just backtracking a little bit. Remember until, was it last episode where we had Tommen's announcement that we saw again in the previously on? There should be no more trials by combat
2: mm-hmm.
0: so presumably up until that moment sir say you know her plan as she kept saying to everybody who'd listen she said it to strangers in the street people would bring her breakfast she said oh thank you <laughs> the breakfast by the way my the mountain will be my champion so i have nothing to worry about mm-hmm. uh, until that moment presumably she wasn't planning on killing everybody and then uh she found out that wasn't going to happen at that humiliating scene where she wasn't even told Tama was making an announcement and that's the scene where she turns and says to Kyburn, what about those rumors, which we now know were about the stocks of wildfire under the set? Mm-hmm. So she decided to kill everybody right around then.
2: With this knowledge of what she eventually did, going back and thinking to that scene with Lady Olena when she says, you have no friends left, Cersei, what are you going to do, kill everybody all by yourself? Yes, uh, another, another <laughs> foreshadowing that we all missed. Another foreshadowing for moment. And I also think that it may be, Makes sense in the character of Cersei if she's sending Jamie away in part because she knows he wouldn't approve because right. remember we were so we were so sort of annoyed that uh, mm-hmm. this character who had always been like Jamie, don't leave Stay in King's Landing we are all that's important we must be together we must be together we must be together suddenly she's like off you go to River Run yeah
0: but remember she said to him when he said how could I leave you at this moment of trial?" she said don't worry it's going to be a trial by combat and my champion is the mountain that's don't true. worry so that was before, presumably, she had decided to pull that wildfire trigger.
2: And what a trigger. I, I, trigger. So green. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that in that regard, in Jamie's absence, we're still seeing a little manipulation by the actors to get people where they need to go. Uh, it's weird, though, to see Cersei on the throne because of all the people we have been imagining and talking about, all the people who want the Iron Throne, she was never really one of them, was she?
2: It feels she it'll made... be awfully short lived, though, which is yeah, its I, own I, kind of reward for us as yeah. the audience to know that the fleet is, you know, off in the ocean. And so she's going to be sitting on that chair. In Game of Thrones time, who knows? A day, a minute, an hour, a yeah, year. Yeah,
0: time is getting... But it is true that... Uh, and this is sort of a general comment about the episode. So many pieces got taken off the board. Yeah. Um, it's, we're, we're kind of in an end game here, to continue the chess metaphor, where if they... And they're not gonna, obviously. But if they wanted to they could wrap up this whole damn TV series in one or two episodes, right? Because yeah. everybody else is dead. <laughs> Here comes Daenerys with her dragons. There is Cersei has eliminated all her problems, so she's by herself. She is who she is. So maybe the first episode, it's Daenerys versus Cersei. Daenerys wins. Cersei gets her comeuppance. And then the second episode, uh, Daenerys and Jon Snow, uh, as we know well, now we know who he is, join forces, defeat the White Walkers. Fini. They're Just not two more going more hours to do we're that.
2: To...
0: <laughs> but the point is, is that they've done such a good or bad job of clarifying and eliminating various plot lines and characters, bringing so many things to an end. They could.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see how that pans out, too. And we'll talk more about that on Wednesday, I think, because there are a lot of questions there. The storyline right. does certainly seem simplified. Right. Um, so let's talk about Tom in a little bit.
0: Did you feel a little bad for him? I
1: don't know.
0: Yeah,
2: I was shocked. Yeah, in that he's still a child really and he had yeah. become a true believer of this cult. And when he saw everyone else that was in this cult with him die, and knew that the yeah. only person left was his mother who he had already resolved to kill basically right. in this trial. Um yeah. the the deadpan nature of it I thought was well done because you know if he had been sort of a sobbing mess yeah. it would have felt wrong, but to have him yes. just coldly take his crown off and then walk back to the window. Um, which it was shocking, but it it made sense for the character. I think there was I nothing left to do. I think
0: you just said something really important, Tricia. That if you again, I think a lot of times in this episode they decided to, to not show things. Much as they didn't show what the mountain actually did to that Septa, they if they had shown, as you say, Tom and whining, crying, saying, "I've killed me, you know, my my beautiful queen is dead," um, I was totally wrong. Everything I decided was wrong. I think that would have been just pathetic and awful and cringeworthy. So it was better just to have Tom and one last do one last whiny thing, which is leap through a window.
2: And you can tweet at Peter Sagal <laughs> <laughs> in Responses to the assertion that suicide is a whiny act. Oh no!
0: Well, geez, you're really trying to get me in trouble. Oh, no. I was
2: just letting you know what was coming. I understand, but anyway, I mean.
0: I, in a weird way, they—you know this is just the true of the makers of, I guess, any TV show, that you have to be careful because you have to remember we're still doing this for entertainment, right? They're trying to entertain the crowds. And 14 or 15 or however old he is, 16, 17, 16 or 17-year-olds, killing themselves is not that entertaining. So there's just this sort of understanding that we're going to treat these horrific things in a kind of cold, passionless way, just to, as to spare you, the viewer, from really dealing with what just happened.
2: Shall we quickly... Am I better off now? Am
0: I, am I not going to get yep. hate mail? I mean, I we'll see. You,
1: you you, let us know.
0: I <laughs> will. If you see me lying in the corner bloody and weeping, you'll know <laughs>
1: that
0: I... All right, go on.
2: <laughs> bloody and whining?
0: Exactly. <laughs> weeping, weeping.
2: So before, where to next, ladies? How about the twins, where oh, God. we had the only other Lannister
0: left, really? I just want to say, and I think that we can say put a put a bow on this theory... That you never see Walder Frey anywhere else but in that room. <laughs> yep.
2: Am and I, I can, right? And I can never, ever see a scene with him without thinking of Harry Potter. I know. That's, <laughs>
0: it, it, and him practicing his magic because he's a squib. Yep. Yeah, well, poor Walder Frey sitting there. I thought Jamie was going to kill him. I honestly thought we were up for He was being so annoying to Jamie with all the Lannister soldiers sitting there in that first scene. That I honestly thought we were going to see red to red wedding 2, the reddening, uh, <laughs> as the lanterns got up and wiped out the phrase just for being annoying.
2: But no, we but had no. that scene, and then off Jamie and Bron go back to King's Landing, right? And so then was, the wench was a- who was getting a lot of attention for an unnamed character suddenly wasn't an unnamed character anymore. Yeah, dude, Did you that guys Blew that, my uh, mind. In fact,
0: I think Walder Frey said something. To this effect, Would I, they had that scene in the first scene in the in the dining hall or whatever you want to call it, the great hall of the twins, and in which uh, that one girl who then shows up serving a meal to Walder in scene two, haha, uh, is there, and then those other two, she seemed to be making eyes at Jamie, and Bron says, "Oh, look, they're all interested in you," and then those other two girls show up, and Bron goes off to flirt with them, and I'm like, "Those are really attractive girls for the for for the twins," because. <laughs> The, the, the really attractive serving girls don't make it to the twins. They're like a really, really you know, out-of-the-way place. If you're an attractive young woman, you don't end up serving there. And it turns out there's a reason, Walder says. You're too attractive to work here. You're too pretty, he says, to be one of ours. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they were, Walder.
2: The fingernail <laughs> in the pie.
0: Hey, second Shakespeare reference of this podcast. <laughs> that was a direct reference to the Shakespeare play Titus Andronicus specifically the Julie Tamor movie thereof and in that play the villain gets fed a pie with his own uh, children baked into it his two sons in fact I think got- and, in, in, and the Julie Tamor version with Anthony Hopkins as uh, Titus Andronicus ends with a pie that looks an awful lot like that I honestly think that the production designer said we're going to pay a little tribute to, to Miss Tamor and her version of that story because it was, it was the same damn thing
1: We got a really great voicemail that said, never mind the fact that it seems to have taken Arya like two seconds to get to the twins. Never mind the fact that Arya obviously has mastered assassinry. But when did she learn to cook? Which I think was pretty great.
0: Yeah, she was never into that sort of thing. Right? Back in no, the season. no, she sure she was wasn't. tried to teach her embroidery and stuff, and she was like, "No goddamn way."
1: Pretty good,
2: right? So, yeah,
0: <laughs> probably not. Yes, but for, yeah, it's true. It's just, I guess you know, we you know keep in mind that she was in uh, Bravo's for two seasons. And it's not a, a lot long time. happened, so maybe off stage when she was not learning to fight with sticks and maybe still people she did learn this. to cook. Yeah, okay. and now I am just imagining Jakan Hagar is saying, "Today, Arya, you shall learn to make <laughs> a flaky pastry crust." <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
1: uh, would we watch that show?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, probably. The <laughs> Great Frey Off? <bake-off?
0: laughs> exactly, but we also have to say, and listeners know my obsession with this. I think we can say at long last. With some sadness but not a lot of surprise, no Lady Stoneheart because
2: mm.
0: my, last, my last thread of hope that Lady Stoneheart would come back was the fact that they were constantly pu- shining a light on those two stupid-looking Frey brothers and saying, they're the guys who killed Cersei, who killed – excuse me, not Cersei, who killed uh, Catelyn at the wed wedding. Right. And now we know who killed them. So in a weird way, Arya showed up and took that role that I assumed and hoped Lady Stoneheart would.
2: And so, she thanks, smiled Aria. quite maniacally at the bleeding well, yeah. out Walder Frey. Just to make so, sure that we all remember, she's a little bit of a psychopath now. Well, in
0: fact, it was funny, Trisha, because you had said that about her. Uh, gosh, maybe it was even at the end oh, of when yeah. we did our wrap-up last season. I you would say, well, Arya's a psychopath now. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But looking at her <laughs> stone-cold face as, uh, as poor old uh, Walder Frey. Not uh, even just
2: stone-cold, was... but almost gleeful. Yeah, she yeah, seemed pretty I'm pleased not... with herself.
0: Yeah, it was it was a very much the same Arya that we saw when she killed Sir Meryn Trent last season. And yeah, yeah. you're looking at her. And, and, and again, this is what I think the the, the showrunners wanted you to dwell on, is that she is above and beyond in terms of her own murderous intent, that she might well be so damaged that her happy reunion with her family that we've all kind of hoped for may not be able to happen because she'd just be crazy. <laughs>
2: She's powering through that list, though. And we're going to go see some more Starks, those Starks that maybe Arya could see very soon, considering how fast she travels, yeah. in just a minute.
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that she had a, <laughs> as, as somebody pointed out, I didn't know that she had a TARDIS.
2: She does. Maisie Williams does have a TARDIS, yeah. in fact. You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal.
1: We're heading to Winterfell where Winter is here
2: now. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Where's Brienne? Oh, nowhere.
1: Yeah, oh, Brienne, she's on my list. It? No yeah. Brienne,
2: no hound this episode. Pretty
1: much yeah. everybody else though. Yeah, pretty much everyone else. I was impressed.
0: Yeah, they got a lot in. But you may remember me saying that <clears throat> on last episode that if Brienne doesn't show up in this final episode with some point to her journey to the Riverlands, mm. then there was no point to it. Yeah, And the only thing I can think of as I was lying in bed late last night staring at the ceiling thinking about it is that they, the, the whole purpose of getting Brienne to go down to um, Riverrun for that pointless negotiation and that meeting with Jamie was just to get her out of the way so that the big creaking mechanism of the surprise arrival of the Knights of the Vale could work.
1: Yeah, I guess but so. Brienne
0: knew. Remember, Brienne said, why didn't you tell him about the Knights of the Vale? So presumably if Brienne had been around when they were planning that battle, as much help she would have been in the battle, she would have said, hey, wait a minute, guys, guys, there's the Knights of the Vale. They're waiting at Moat Kaelin. I heard Littlefinger tell um, Sansa. So they had to get rid of her so they could play all that out, maybe.
1: And I think that is still the main question. Well, there are a lot of questions, but the fact that Sansa does not seem to trust John still is resonating in this episode as well. There and were apologies, but no explanations for her behavior. Yeah,
0: I thought that was pretty lame. There were, there were two things that we've been waiting to see play out. One of them was John saying, so why didn't you mention the Knights of the Vale? And the other one was uh, Davos confronting Melisandre. And both of them were anticlimactic. The first one was, why didn't you tell me about the Knights of the Vale? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, okay, don't do it again. The other one was, why?
2: The army was strapped. The horses were dying. It was the only way.
1: You burned a little girl alive! I only do
2: what my lord commands. he commands
1: you to burn children, your lord is evil.
2: We are standing here because of him. Jon Snow is alive because the lord willed it. I loved that girl like she was my own. She was good, she was kind, and you killed her! So did her father. So did her mother. Your own blood knew it was the only way. The only way for what? They all died anyway. You told everyone Stannis was the one. You had him believe in it. All of them fooled. And you lied.
0: I didn't lie. I was wrong.
2: Aye. You were wrong. How many died because you were wrong? I ask your leave to execute
1: this woman for murder. She admits to the crime. Do you have
2: anything to say for yourself? I've been ready to die for many years. If the Lord was done with me, so be it, but he's not. You've seen the Night King Jon Snow. You know the great war is still to come.
0: You know the army of the dead will be upon us soon. And you know I can help you win that war. You killed her. I want you dead. Um, all right. You have to leave. Okay. Really? Really? That's yeah. it? That's I all? I don't know.
1: I, I actually really liked the interaction between Davos and Melisandre when when she said, I was doing what God told me to. And he said, any God that tells you to kill children is evil. I thought that was, I didn't think it was anticlimactic. I mean, they told her to leave. Yeah, I liked I know, the line. But, I, mean, I
2: liked the line very much. I didn't lie. I was wrong. Yes. Yeah. Which was
1: True,
0: from her perspective. And it's weird. I mean, I think if you were to go back and watch uh, Karis Van Houten, I think that's how you say her name, the actress who plays Melisandre, and watch her scenes from her first season or two, I think she appears in season two, you would see an extremely different character. In terms of how she handles herself and how she relates. I mean, she never in those, I guess, first two or three seasons, right up, in fact, through the burning of Shireen, never admits any doubt ever about anything.
2: And, and doesn't have to because the shadow baby kills Renly.
0: Exactly. When you get the shadow baby, you never, you never, you never have to apologize. Having a shadow baby means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but clearly, she has been through her own sort of version of difficulties and has a lot of doubt. I know. I, I it just seemed to me that allowing her to leave without any controls over her, without knowing what she's going to do, is not not the wisest thing, right? I mean. Uh, it just doesn't make sense from any of their incentives. One incentive could be, yeah, she killed Shireen, but she also brought John back to life, as she pointed out. She's kind of useful and obviously has uh, some access to real power. Keep her around, we could use her. Or but as John has her,
2: said, he wants a DNR. He doesn't want her to do that again. True, but there are other things that she might be able to do.
0: I mean, l- l- I mean, maybe I'm just uh, uh, not as enmeshed in the worldview of this world as I should be, But I I remember saying this earlier, maybe last season, which is that in a world in which there are various religions that people practice, there are the old gods, there are the new, there are the seven, if you have somebody who can actually resurrect corpses, which we saw with Lord Barry way back when, then clearly you need to be mostly interested in that god, (laughs) right? And keeping around someone who seems to be able to tap, however imperfectly, into the power of that god I think would be a priority more so than a sense of of morality that would say, Well, you need to go away, or if they think that she's an uncontrollable murderer who has committed an unforgivable crime, then kill her. you know it 's not something John hasn't done before we last we saw him remember a few episodes ago, hanging four people, including a child um so it 's not as if he's he's a merciful fellow if he doesn't want to be, so it just struck me as an out uh, i mean again to invoke that famous image of uh, the Death Star spinning away. It's like, okay, you'll be back.
1: Yeah, I mean, something will happen with her. I think the fact that she's been rejected by them will, you know, it will change her behavior, and that is potentially interesting.
2: Well, her whole faith is now allied with Danny, so we'll see if that plays out. I think that the scene, man, the scene that I maybe loved the most was actually Tiny Lady Mormont, Giving oh, her awesome. speech. Awesome. Totally. Totally. I also I am, loved Sophie Turner's reactions to Lady Mormont in that scene. Yeah. Awesome. The smiles.
1: Was,
0: I am. A number of people have already called called for like her, her to get her own spinoff series, which I agree. Yes. And I know they plan this thing out so carefully, and all the scripts are written in advance, and everything is shot not in order because it's it's like baking. It's like making four epic films every year. But I would like to think that once they got that actress who played Liana Mormont, and they found out what she could do, that they wrote that whole scene for her. Mm -hmm. Because that would have been absolute comedy with a less less gifted and visually striking uh, 10-year-old girl playing that role. That was amazing. Whoever that girl is, she is now my new favorite actress.
1: It was really good. So Tricia, you think Sansa was smiling at her?
2: There's a couple moments, there's a couple cutaways where she kind of smiles
1: Wow! during that yeah, scene. I completely misread, or differently read, interpreted Sansa's reaction. I think she's pissed that she doesn't get to take it.
2: Yeah, People have been and saying that really? online. I don't really? think she is.
1: I think especially her conversation with Littlefinger ahead of time, I think, you know, and the fact that she doesn't seem to trust John. There just isn't enough of a union between them that it seems to me that... To a certain extent, he is her competition. And I think in that scene, it became very evident that, you know, I mean, she wasn't chanting King of the North with the rest of those guys. She and why Littlefinger were the only ones who were quiet. Why do think she trusts Jon? I don't know. That's the There's part that I no can't figure out. no reason for her not to. I mean, other than that, he's the only other one who has an a, a line to Winterfell.
0: Right. Here's my point. And, and, and this is, I think... It's it's certainly not your fault to think this. The reason you think she doesn't trust John is she didn't tell him about the Knights of the Vale. However, because that's the only thing she has done in terms of her character's actions that indicate a lack of distrust or a lack of closeness or alliance between them. Everything else she's done, she's always said to him, you and me, kid, we got to go take this castle back. And he even gives her credit. Saying, you're the one who came to me and said this is what we need to do. And the only reason that she didn't tell him about the Knights of the Vale was to set up the surprise rescue. And that's so for me, that isn't an issue of a character not trusting another character. It's an issue of a character having to do something for the mechanics of the larger show that doesn't really work when you think about who she is, where she is and what her incentives are. Of course, she trusts John. Without John, she's got nothing.
2: Yeah, I feel the same way that they're trying really hard to create tension there because they can't just have it be happily ever after anywhere ever on the show also.
0: And and didn't and, and it was late at night and it was a brief scene, but didn't. Um, there wasn't a scene where both John and Sansa were urging the other to take power as Lord of Winterfell.
1: There was, well, it was, it was to take the master bedroom. (laughs) It was to take their parents' room. which stands in for that. Absolutely.
0: That's what started the conversation. Yes,
1: but that was before her interaction with Littlefinger, who essentially told her, like, you have to get married if you want to, you know, you should be in charge of Winterfell. And then the next scene after that in Winterfell was John being declared King of the North and... Sansa. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't think she looked too happy about it. I, I would love it if they something. got along. But yeah,
0: we just skipped over something that I you know, you know, me and my note taking. I don't take a lot of notes. But <laughs> one day, one note I did take was Baelish said it. Yeah. After six complete seasons, Baelish actually said out loud what he wants. I mean, he right? whispered it, Peter. I'm sorry. He whispers everything. If you stomped <laughs> if you stomp as hard as you could on his bare toe, he'd go, ow. That's his style. But at the same time, he said, I want to be on the Iron Throne, comma. That's big. That's big. He said it out loud with you at my side, period. So now we know what it is. And for readers of the book, this has all still been a mystery, clarified much like R R plus L equals uh, J was finally clarified. We now know what Baelish wants, which is that he sees himself as the Iron on the Iron Throne. And he's got it for Sansa and probably always has. But what was Sansa's reaction to his, if you will, proposal?
1: That sounds great. Like that's a lovely vision. And then she walks away.
0: Right. Which is very, shall we say, ambivalent. Right. She does, no, she, Did she not say to hell with you and I, I'd rather die or whatever. I'd rather go back to Tyrion, which might happen. I'd rather do anything than have you touch me, you creepy old man. Nor She's did she smarter say, than that, though. But was she finally learning to keep her opinions to herself? Maybe she she's always it? been pretty
2: good at that when it comes to the men who she doesn't know how to immediately have mauled by dogs. I mean, she knows exactly how to make sure she stays alive like Marjorie in these situations. There's a strength in that quietness that kept her alive with Joffrey, that kept her alive with Ramsey. And now she knows that she cannot trust Littlefinger, but she needs him to think that there's still a chance.
0: She's been very good at keeping her head down, which has kept her alive, as you point out, and as she has probably pointed out. Um, is that what she's doing now, or is she plotting something? Did she say to herself, I can't shut him down, I can't slap his face and tell him to go away because I need him? Or was it like, hmm, that's an intriguing offer. With his army, I can actually have vengeance upon my enemies maybe I'm going to take him, take him up on that offer when it's more advantageous to me.
2: Well, it no, I think she's learned indiv- a you different lesson from it. this. I think she's learned yeah. a different lesson from all this. I don't think she's as power-hungry as the other players because when he finds her at the, the weirwood tree, she says, I used to always think about what I wanted instead of what I had. It feels like right. she's been through an awful lot and maybe she's ready to just hunker down for the winter <laughs> <laughs> and well, fight some white fun. walkers.
0: Yeah, I, but let me ask you this. Sometime next season, episode one, episode two, a year from now, there's going to be a scene between Sansa and Littlefinger that, in Game of Thrones time, will be very shortly thereafter. What do you anticipate happening? Or do you want to save this for? Let's a save it for Wednesday, episode? if right. we could. Right. I think
1: I think we should. We did get one question, which I think is worth clarifying now. Okay. Emily from DC wanted to know the difference between being Lord of the North and King of the North, and I'm essentially perceiving this as this is the person who is opposed to whoever's on the Iron Throne, right? It's a similar so, civil war okay. notion, right?
0: There was obviously a, a, a very, very strong echo of the end of season one in book one when they're shouting, king of the north, king of the north. So were they not shouting king? Were they shouting lord of the north?
1: Well, I think the idea being that like Ned Stark was not king of the north, right? It wasn't until everything kind of fell apart in King's Landing that all of a sudden there were kings everywhere. Y- yeah, and I the, think that's what it, it means with Jon Snow. This and was,
0: this was the specific echo back in season one. Which is that when Eris Targaryen and the Conqueror landed 300 years ago, there were seven kingdoms. They keep calling them the seven kingdoms, one of which was the North, which is a pretty boring name for the northern kingdom, but there you are. And that the Starks were kings in the north. And that the current Starks, including the two people sitting at the front of the room, were descendants of the last king of the north, who was – I forget his name – um, known as the King who knelt because he realized that it wasn't going to work to fight Eris and his dragons. So presumably, just like they did with Robb Stark, with the collapse of the regime in Red in King's Landing, I keep on wanting to say Red's Landing, <laughs> um, that they rose, they decided the Northern Lords to raise up their own Lord, their own former King, descendant of former King, to be King again. They just did it again, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what they just did again with right. Jon Snow?
2: Right. Yeah, I thought it was just worth pointing that out. Yeah. In just a minute, let's go to the best library ever. <laughs>
0: oh my god! So cool.
2: So this was a short scene, a little uh, breath of fresh air, and a very heavy, death-ridden episode. No kidding. The bureaucrat at the front desk I of the Citadel. Him. This he is a regular. Flat-ish.
0: Did you guys, you, Trisha, you always look up these actors. Who was that actor? Did you know? Did you look it up?
2: Oh, I, he looked very familiar to me, but I don't know his name. I almost yeah, looked him looked, up, but didn't.
0: It, it, I mean, did you buy, by the way, that Samwell, his girlfriend, and her baby, who's getting bigger, by the way... <laughs> were able to just meander across the width of Westeros with his father's beloved sword, just just by riding on the back of a cart. I was like, oh, come on. I
2: really? did love that they wrapped up the sword in the way that you wrap a football as a Christmas present where it's like, nobody knows that's a sword.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, I think, you know, this this episode very much, the season in general, but especially this episode really required a suspension of disbelief, I think, when it came to travel times especially, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, oh, they're here. I think yeah, my favorite it, part of it, it was... It ends
0: skipping ahead with, with the most ridiculous one, which was that Varys managed to get all I mean, the way honestly. across.
1: Yeah, that Dawn, was ludicrous.
0: all the way back. Yeah. But go on. So Sam, well, by the way, the thing in that great shot of the library in the Citadel, those things, I had to look it up, those things that are hanging, there are two of them that are hanging in the ceiling, like enormous sort of things hanging from the ceiling, they are called um, an armillary spheres, sometimes called astrolabes or oraries. And mm. that, my friends, is that thing that's in the credits. Yes. You know? Yeah.
1: you know, someone actually called and asked about that. So I'm glad you were able to clarify.
0: In the credits, because ever since season one, I thought the credits were pretty amazing. You know, you have this, this clockwork map of the world, but hanging above it is this object that the credit camera keeps cutting to that has all those strips of metal that tell the tale of of Robert's Rebellion, if you've been following along. That is supposed to represent one of these medieval devices that were used for depicting the movement of the stars around the sun or around the earth, and they were called, I had to look it up, armillary spheres. So it's really interesting that, and it's all computer generated, but hanging in the middle of that library (laughs) were two big ones.
1: Beautiful. I loved that library. I would hang out there. It was fabulous. The are the books chained to their spots?
2: Uh huh. Is that yeah. how it
0: works? How yeah. do you, if you need a book, can you undo the chain or do you have to stand there reading it?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe somebody we'll has out. to do it for you. The Archbaster. Yeah, they just, Ooh, yeah,
0: they just got the tired master. of people taking the books to the toilet.
1: <laughs> 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 okay, so I think that sums it
2: up for Old Town. So we got he, he just,
0: They really, I just got to say, they really are pushing Sam and his character and his performance toward pure comedy. And I hope they pull back. Hmm. Uh, Because it's just, it's a little goofy and a little contemporary in a way that I don't think suits the rest of the show. But, you know, one little scene.
2: I just—it was too beautiful of a library for me to be upset about anything else. That's true. It, it
0: really—it really, really was nerd paradise.
1: The funniest thing is, I was talking to my friend Lauren this morning, who hasn't yet seen the episode, but she and she's she said she's really good at avoiding spoilers, but she has heard that Sam gets to the library, which is just like oh, the really? nerdiest of the spoilers. Yeah,
0: that, that really may be. I mean, if if he gets to stay there, and of course he won't, it would be the first and only happy ending in all of Game of Thrones.
1: There you go. I like to look at it yeah. that way. Let's go. How how long do you think
0: before while he's in there before uh, Samwell remembers that he left his wife, or his, effectively his wife and her child, just standing there in the cold anteroom of the of the citadel? Oops, I'm sorry. I got carried away.
2: <laughs> so if we head beyond the wall for just a moment for Bran, the character who serves basically only as a flashback machine. Uh, yes. We see Benjamin gives us a little backstory that I don't think the show had given us yet, but that book yeah. readers know, which is that the wall is not just ice and stone; it is also ancient spells that keep the dead from passing. Did,
0: you, did, did we know that, fellow book readers? Uh, I speak both to you, ladies, and to the people at home. I don't remember specifically reading. I mean, we you know people had said, "Well, you know, it's a work of magic and was built by, by Brand the Builder, and there are spells in it." but that there's a specific ward, as they might say, against the dead is something I had never heard before.
1: Yeah, it does raise some questions about White Walkers, for sure. Yeah. Well, we all knew that the,
0: the wall had been raised, even if the Black, I want to say—I always want to say the Black Watch, which is a Scottish regiment, even if the Night's Watch had forgotten it over the centuries, we readers, because we were introduced to them in the very first scene, in the very first book, knew that the real reason for the wall was to prevent the white walkers from taking over the world. Um, and uh, but I like all I'm saying is that I had never heard that specific little thing saying the dead can't cross it.
1: So, yeah, it does raise a number of questions. But I think we also got some questions answered, especially in this magic flashback. Right.
2: Tower yeah, of joy. A, fine, if, we know. We now know for sure. If they had done like one more set of stairs up and then Bran had gone like ah, and woken up again, I would have been so <laughs> mad. <Yes. laughs> we all they, knew. They, they teased us. For half a season, about what was at the top of those stairs, and yeah, we finally like got to see it. I that this was even going to happen. Oh, no, I did not. <laughs> I was waiting for it the whole time. And then you finally
0: saw baby John, and you have one of those uh, Saving Private Ryan shots to yeah. establish that one person as a baby or as a younger person is another I older that person. Was,
1: I laughed out loud at that moment from, like, baby John face to grown-up John face. It was just like, yeah. oh, okay, we're just going to be you, that heavy-handed.
0: You, you think they cast a newborn to... Um, uh, what am I trying to say? To look like Jon Snow. So when they made that shot, you know what I—you I, I, know what I thought of when they showed the face of that baby. I said, in twenty years from now, that baby, as a young man, assuming it's a male baby, is going to be at Game of Thrones fan conventions.
1: Oh, totally, yes. <laughs> totally. He played,
0: he played baby Jon Snow. Snow. Yes, baby Line John up to get your Snow. autograph.
1: Man, I thought that look on young Ned's face when Liana told him what he had to do was yeah. so perfect. It was like just the weight of what he was being asked to do. I yeah. thought was you just saw it. I thought it was really well done.
0: Yeah. And we all know if you have forgotten, uh, viewers and readers, what he did was he then took the baby home, told his wife that it was in fact his own bastard child fathered upon some anonymous woman. Uh, thereby really pissing off his wife for the rest of her life. So it was a bit of a sacrifice because they they care about such things uh, in Game of Thrones. But there you are, ladies and gentlemen, R Rhaegar plus L Liana equals J. For Game of Thrones fans, this is the resolution of a mystery that is 25 years old since the first book came out, I think in 92 so how people were wondering about this and now, you know,
1: how concerned are you guys about the whispers and the fact that we didn't actually that it wasn't as obtuse as possible?
0: That was also that was very strange. Um, and I don't know why they didn't say so. I loved her saying something to the effect of I loved Rhaegar. This is our baby. Please don't let anybody know about it because your friend Robert Baratheon will have this baby killed as it is the Targaryen heir. Why she didn't say any of those things. Maybe they're not what we think. Maybe there's another surprise coming. I don't know.
2: Yeah, people 80%. are saying that maybe it means that we now have confirmed who John's mother is, but we don't 100% know who John's father is. Yes. But I just call just think we do. 95% sure, though. Yeah. Who else could it possibly be
0: after everything we had heard? And, and why would they go to this extraordinary length of hiding this truth? revealing this truth and it turns out it's not that at all that just seems crazy
2: it's also like bran is back in time so why can't he you know it's the idea that there's a whisper that he can't hear in one of these flashbacks Mm. doesn't make sense with what bran is able to do it's just to keep us the audience guessing a little bit
0: can I just ask you guys to imagine a shot in which Leanna is whispering in Ned's ear and then all of a sudden Bran pops up right behind them. <laughs> yeah. Hello? Huh? Hello? <laughs>
2: Popping
1: Hello? into Hello? frame, exactly. Enunciate.
0: But oh, it is kind of good. extraordinary. Now we know. I mean, really, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to describe. Literally, for book readers, this has been a mystery for 25 years. People's entire lives have spent wondering who Jon Snow's mother entire is. Entire lives? And now we know.
1: So like the five-year-olds Anna? who read that in 92? Is that what you mean? Sorry. Yeah, that's I never what I'm saying. Don't worry I, I, about it. I,
0: read, I read Game of Thrones to my kids. That's why we get along so well <laughs> to this day.
1: All right. And with that,
2: Marine. Well, back real quick, quick pit stop oh, in yeah, Dorne, yeah. maybe, on our way uh, back sure. and forth to Maureen, <laughs> where When we saw Dorne in the previously on, yeah. I just went, oh, no, because I did oh, not think no. there was anything interesting left to happen in Dorne. And I was wrong. I was wrong. No. Well,
0: now you know where Lady Olenna went. Um, although she got there pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It's, 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 it's especially annoying to see these characters move around so quickly when you've established how far it was the last time somebody went there. I mean, it took, uh, two seasons ago or last season, it took Jamie and Bron an entire season to get there and back.
1: I think especially it's, the fact that it's the finale feels cheap to me, because it's sort of like, oh, look at all of these things that can happen within the span of, you know, granted, it was more than an hour, but it's still just sort yeah. of like, well, that seems awfully convenient, given
2: the fact yeah. that we've I spent, spent just eight so hours, hours with, with you Things guys. were already happening and happening and happening. Remember and remember that yeah.
0: Yeah. when she's in Dorne after Lady Elena just totally smacks down the sand snakes in a very satisfying way. Um, oh, shut up, you.
1: You murder your own prince, but
0: you expect me to trust you? We invited you to Dorn because we needed your help. You
2: came to Dorn because you needed our help. What is your name again? Barbara? Obara. Obara. You look like an angry little boy. Don't presume to tell me what I need. Forgive my sister. What she lacks in diplomacy, Do she makes- shut up, dear. Anything from you? No, good. Let the grown women speak. Let the grown uh, she did, women speak.
0: <laughs> she, she actually discusses the explosion at the, the, the Sept of Baelor, meaning right. that her journey to Dorne happened after the first scene of this episode. It didn't even happen after she left. I mean, you could have said, well, if she left the Red Keep and however many episodes ago and went straight there, maybe. No, just nuts, people. Come on.
2: And in *Marine*, we have what we've been waiting to have happen for ages and ages, which is she's got her ships, she's got her armies, she's got her dragons, and she's on her way in an epic right. final scene.
0: Yes, and she, made, she was very nice to Tyrion, and she gave him a little pin, and Tyrion, for the first time, maybe since Shay died, looked a little human. And his, his, little, his little lower jaw trembled a little bit, which was very nice. But I still don't think he's done anything really to deserve that. I mean, we know how smart he is, but while he's been a Marine, he hasn't been very smart. But nonetheless, I'm very happy for him that he got his pin.
1: Fair enough. And we can talk more about it on Wednesday. We also want your voicemails. Give us a call. Let us know what you think is going to happen. 312-948-4687. You can also find us online at nerdetpodcast.com we're at nerd at podcast on twitter he's at peter Segel. you can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because in fact you are already listening to us but we would really love it if you subscribed on itunes or
2: followed us on npr1 just search for nerd recaps this show is produced by us with help from wbez's joe de and robert anderson thanks also to our interns maya cole and sebron mallard joel meyer is our executive producer our theme music was composed by andrew edwards of blue police box music